Welcome to this episode of the Cloud Sourcing Storytelling Podcast. On today's episode, guest host Chelsea Fernley will be discussing drama and how cloud technology is speeding up production to still allow creatives to deliver on quality. Joining Chelsea today will be Director of Photography Eben Bolter, Editor Timothy Good, and Sony Business Development and DMPC Manager Will Newman. Welcome to the Cloud Sourcing Storytelling Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Cloud Sourcing Storytelling Podcast. My name is Chelsea, I'm your host, and I'm joined by Evan Bolton, the cinematographer who recently just shot the most magical bit of television I've ever seen. Uh, that's The Last of Us. Also joining me today is Emmy-nominated editor Tim Good, who additionally worked on the series. And from Sony, we have Will Newman, business development and DMPC manager, which is Sony's brick and mortar virtual production studio. Today, we're going to be talking about changing technology shifts on set of high-end TV. Uh, we'll talk about the cloud too, obviously, since this is a cloud curious podcast. Um, but the most important thing, or at least interesting thing for me, Evan, I'm going to direct this one to you first, um, is what does the modern set look like? The idea of a clapboard turning over cameras is so old, I don't even know if that happens anymore. Um, but what does the set look like now and what do you need to think about when balancing the creative and technical driven role of being a DOP? It's not an easy thing to answer because every single set is different and always changing. So, you know, I, I've got, I, I, I think I'm still a, a young cinematographer, hopefully, um, just about. Um, and I've probably got 15 years of onset experience. And in that time, it's changed massively. But every single job, you know, day one, the first week, you are recalibrating to this job here and now because the technology moves so quickly. And and not just that, the kind of the culture and um, working practices, where the money is spent. Um, there are so many variables. And, and quite often it's a case of where on this job are we putting the focus um, when it comes to kind of my department. So, you know, are we shooting four cameras in HDR and need to see everything magnificently? Or is this a, a lower budget production, single camera, um, SDR, and things are a little bit more old fashioned? So, that, yeah, it, it's really hard to answer what like a modern set is like because it's just different every single time. And it's about, for me, it's about keeping up with what's going on. I, I, you know, I do a lot of reading of, te you know, technology. I try to kind of be up to date on everything happening. So, I can at least offer an opinion on things like HDR and whether we should or not on set. Um, but yeah, a lot of the time you're just kind of pushing and pulling on every job and feeling what, what's this job like? What does the director like? What do the producers need? What, do, what does the editors, what do post need? What does VFX need? Um, and you all kind of get into a, a new rhythm. And usually by the time you're a well-oiled machine, you rack. And you have to start all over again on another job. Uh, and that's, that's what it is. It's a constantly changing, evolving thing. And with The Last of Us, because you worked with Timothy on this, um, could you describe the set for that? I know I know you worked on a number of episodes. It was, it was split between you and some other DOPs. But with your episodes, um, let's, let's go for the third episode because that's the greatest one. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, so well, The Last of Us was a particularly special project in so many ways um it was there's kind of nothing else like it because it was so big you know we have such a machine i think it's around 200 uh, people on the average kind of call sheet um for, for crew and everyone else and 
Yeah, it's this huge circus, big budget, HBO, um, lots of cameras, lots of technology, but it was also a passion project in a way. It's like a big budget passion project. So many people on the show were there because they loved the source material, they loved Craig's writing, they loved Chernobyl. Um, and so there was this real like family togetherness of let's just make this thing great. It wasn't a kind of cynical big budget, we're just here to make some money and leave job. Um, a lot of people moved to Canada, like I moved to Canada with my family um, and kids for a whole year to make the show. And, and, you know, I think a lot of people made personal sacrifices to be there, uh, just to be a part of this great thing. Um, and episode three was the first episode that I shot. Um, and, you know, my reading it was similar to your reaction to watching it um, in the I just was blown away by the quality of the writing, by the story, by the characters. Um, and so I just felt incredibly lucky to be involved and just to be a part of that uh, thing. And it felt, in a lot of ways, it felt like an independent movie. We kind of approached it like a kind of, here's a great script. We've got great actors. We've got great locations. We've got such an opportunity here to make something brilliant. Let's not mess it up. Um, and every day was kind of that, hanging on to let's just try and make this as great as possible and just trying to you know push the the, the ship up the mountain as it were. Tim from your side um, could you talk about the process of receiving Evan's footage when he, you know you were working offset and were you with him on set at all did you know what you were going to expect? I remember this very very clearly because I flew up on the United States Labor Day and the very next day I went to the set for the very first time also the last time um, because as an editor, <laughs> I don't need to be there. Not only that, but the sets were not on studios because they were in the world. Um, they were all over. Uh, and I remember meeting Eben right away and Peter Hoare, the director. Uh, and immediately Eben and I connected because he's like, oh, hey, I want to I tell you what's coming, which I've never had with uh, a DOP before. It was amazing um, because most of the time they just go, oh, you're going to do your thing and I'm going to do my thing and never the twain shall meet. Um, but Evan was like, here's what I'm thinking. And he said, let's have an open line of communication, which is really rare. And I just, I, I, I took that as a, a symbol of how the set was working, which was very communicative, very collaborative. And so my process then became having sort of conversations with Evan and he would say, hey, you know, here's what's coming down the pipe today. Here's some C camera things that we're, 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 we're sort of parceling off. And so I had a really great sense of the organization, of how things were going. And, you know, along with uh, Eben, Craig, uh, Peter Hoare, and then our script supervisor, Chris Roofs, everything that came in to me was very specifically detailed. And they would tell me, oh, this was, you know, everyone loves this one, you know, this and that. So it really was a nice way for me to get a, a sense of being on set without actually being there. So it was a really just a, a wonderfully um, uh, illuminating experience for me. Yeah. Uh, and it allowed me to do my best work and to bring, I, I believe, the best of the set into the edit. And Tim, um, I suppose from your side, how has editing changed uh, thanks to technology such as the cloud? You know, remote and flexible working is obviously very different to the edit suites of old. Um, so how has the cloud become an enabler for your craft? It, it has changed my craft so much in the last three years. It's unbelievable. Um, COVID really changed everything in terms of remote work because it was, an, it was a necessity to change the entire paradigm of how things worked. And a lot of it had to do with content security. They, every, the studios were terrified that all of, that they have to send out all of these, you know, hard drives 
all around the world and they would not be secure like they normally would be if you're in a facility with a lot of people and then they have security and locking on it. So all of a sudden, we uh, they had they had to come up with a solution and quick, uh, very quickly. Uh, and so what happened is ultimately a bunch of companies jumped in there, including like Evercast and Jump Desktop and a bunch of things that allowed you to use remote servers. And and so this was the first time I had ever used something uh, where I was literally using a mirror system as opposed to an actual ev- editing Avid. So I was just dialing in to a, a system that existed in downtown Los Angeles and I could be anywhere in the world and it would work. And I didn't even have a computer in my remote workstation. I had a little tiny box called a Tenzig. Uh, and that Tenzig was literally just a connection point to that computer that was in uh, a, a central secure location. And and what they had done, and I worked, uh, we had a company called Remote Picture Labs who set this whole thing up for us for Last of Us. And they did a wonderful job of updating their connection point software. So it was always in sync. So I'm, I'm hitting a keyboard in Calgary, Canada, and it is controlling a, a system in Los Angeles. And I'm, I'm feeling no lag, no difference to the point where I forget that I'm actually on a remote system. And that just speaks to the, uh, the amazing ability of, of technology to aid in editors and the post-production sort of community to be able to be almost a global community, uh, which I think is fascinating. Do you feel like the cloud is also increasing the amount of content that people can produce? And is that, is that creating saturation or is that, is that meaning essentially with series, you're having to edit a film 10 times over just for one series. It's, it's quite a lot of work. Do you feel it's, it, the technology is creating a strain on your workload or quality even? I would say the opposite. It's it, it's actually making my workload easier uh, in a way because I can be, I'm very flexible now. So I can be in, uh, for example, we had a production office in Calgary where I had, again, a remote mirror uh, system that I, I could dial into. And then if I was like, I need to go home um, for whatever reason, and even if, and, and specifically if we had gotten COVID when we were up there, they had uh, systems at our apartments. So we could literally just go there. Um, and so it actually has made things for me uh, much easier, much more flexible. I don't feel uh, as burdened of, oh, I have to stay in this building until 11 o'clock at night, and then I have to figure out how to get home and where's going to be my food, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. So all of that stuff actually has made it easier. And, and I kind of feel like it's, it's giving the audience an opportunity to really uh, find the things that they really love. Um, it'll, it, there's so much uh, segmentation. There's just all sorts of pro- uh, projects out there that speak to individuals in, in any which way that they would like to you know, see things. So I actually love it. It's much more collaborative as well, isn't it? Like, Tim, you, you no doubt, and Evan as well, from like, say, looking at dailies or, um, you know, and like I said, you can be in your hotel room and you can be, you know, talking with an editor over the same, you know, looking at the proxies and all that. It's, um, and allows a lot more, um, collaboration, I think, between departments. Absolutely. And, and that was one of the great things of, of using these, uh, different com- uh, systems. And, and programs like Evercast is one that allows, you know, a lot of people to just log in from wherever they are and they can view the stream of the Avid um, and, you know, or whatever kind of software you're using to, to be the editor. And everyone in every department can actually look at what you're doing exactly from the system and everyone can talk together. And I just think that that just, it, it, again, speaking to how Eben uh, ran the set uh, to us. It was an amazing ability for us to all see how the other uh, artists were, uh, all the intentions that were coming from all of the different departments. And then we all coalesced 
And I think that's one of the reasons why we were so passionate about, you know, bringing this amazing story to life. Yeah. Because previously, did you feel that disconnect was um, sort of disruptive to your creativity or like the, the creative vision of the director and the DOP to begin with? It just always felt like, oh, we have to get everyone together. Okay. It just felt like, all right, well, how are we going to do that? And who's going to be where? Um, and all right, we'll have everyone, you know, we'll get all these department heads in, in, in maybe the production office versus, okay, we're going to have a meeting at, you know, 10 o'clock, wherever you are, you can all come in. So it's, it's very simple and it's just, it just made everything so much more flexible in terms of, you know, and, and department heads are all over there. You know, they had to be either on set or, or in their departments, or maybe they were in another department or maybe they were having a costume fitting somewhere else. They could be wherever they needed to be and still yeah. come in and all collaborate together. And with COVID as well, like, like, you know, you couldn't, like some of these people could, you could physically couldn't do that. And the film industry is sort of a great example of one of the industries that stopped, but then started going quite quickly with things like virtual production, meant that some things could be shot that couldn't be shot. And with cloud as well, you know, you allow people to be virtually in the same room, working on the same thing, whereas previously they would have to be, you know, around the table. Yeah, I mean, like for me, like, uh, you know, when it comes to the very end of the process with color, um, there's been jobs in the past where, okay, the grade, the color is happening in, in LA in two weeks and I'm in Hong Kong doing another thing. And essentially I have no input, really, conversation and what we did on set. Uh, and, you know, that has happened to me. Whereas now, particularly like you say, well, because of COVID, the technology for that accelerated so much that, you know, I, I did most of the coloring for The Last of Us uh, here um, with with Steph Nakamura back at Company 3 in LA, just doing a, you know, online virtual session. Um, and then I got to pop in, luckily, because I was in town for the premiere to, to sort of catch up in person. And it actually is kind of the same thing, whether I'm in Oxford, whether I'm in LA, kind of the same thing, actually, now long distance calibrated screens we're all looking at the same thing we're all chatting like we're all chatting now you know um it it's amazing how it just sort of bring keeps more people in the conversation i think and again like in the edit quite quite often in the past and this is one reason i do try to be proactive with editors is it's very easy for me and editors to just be strangers actually um i, I rap i go do another job editors work you know really yeah, it starts full time from then on, and I see it in the grade and go, "Oh wow, they left that out," and "Oh wow, they didn't do that," and "Oh, what was wrong with that take?" And never actually know. Whereas if you've got, you know, if you're texting each other, if you're talking on emails, you can at least sort of talk about stuff, um, and even just get the gossip and what's going on. It's just great to kind of be, be in the loop. To be honest, of just this is what's happening. You know, that scene you loved, it's been cut, and sometimes that's heartbreaking, but you understand in the bigger picture the reason why. And it's much better to know that um, directly uh, rather than find out when it airs on HBO, you know? <laughs> yeah, of course. Because I suppose it's that, it's that the first time you see it when it's airing at the time, yeah. Well, for me, I when we do the colour, usually the VFX isn't 100% yet. So, yeah, I usually see it, I usually see it with a locked picture and about, I don't know, 70% of the BFX is finished and 30% is to be updated or to be inserted. And But most importantly, usually the sound. Usually I'm still dealing with an early version of the sound or the offline sound. And however good that is, it's never going to be as good as the, the final sound. So it doesn't quite feel polished and finished yet. Um, so 
I do get the sort of pleasure of watching it like everyone else and kind of going, huh, there's the final thing. I'm sure Tim, you probably, do you, why don't you, do you, do you see the, the reference version before broadcast? Do you, are you there for like final, final? I'm not there for final, final, but on the dub, uh, the mixing stage, we do get the most updated picture at all times. And so we do actually get to see it quite lovely. It is projected. So it's, you know, the, the, the image quality is based on, you know, the projection system and, and the resolution. Um, I mean, I'm sitting here in a room where I have my 4K Ultra HD copy of The Last of Us, and it just looks miraculous. It's beautiful. And and I'd ne- I have never seen it look like that. Uh, even, you know, if you watch it on HBO, they have to compress things too when they, when they have yeah. to yeah. be deliverable. Um, and, and now watching it in its purest form has just been, it's just spectacular. It really is. Will, from your side, could you tell us about your kind of forecast for trends on set? Um, I know obviously you, you, you have a big thing with virtual production, um, but in terms of Sony products as well, is there anything that you see advancing in file products? Um, and how they're transforming high-end productions, especially like The Last of Us, for example. Cloud is definitely the way, the way it's going. Um, it, it's getting much more prol- prolific on set. Um, we have There's a lot of third-party products there, like Atomos and Teradek that now support um, streaming straight from the camera or make proxies. Um, they'll write to the Sony C um, cloud, cloud service. Uh, they write to other ones as well, like Frame.io, Frame um, motion and a few others. Um, I think it, it's definitely the way it's going, especially with um, internet speeds getting faster, 5G, things like that. Um, it means you can start being more remote because before yeah. you could only really talk about live cloud uploads in a studio. But um, now people can be on the social remotely with, with 5G networks kicking everywhere, just tether your phone um, and you can upload. Um, that's that's the way things are going to enable sort of this global world we live in to get a bit smaller, be more collaborative with all the different teams. Virtual um, production, of course, that's the big buzzword everyone's talking about. Um, uh, I think Evan was uh, Last of Us. Did that have some virtual production in it as well? We didn't have virtual uh, on The Last of Us. It, um, yeah, my my feelings on virtual again, it's actually a bit kind of like the the, the um, vr thing it's actually it's kind of just like a new tool that has to a lot of elements have to be have to come in sync to make virtual make sense for me i have done it before um and and the thing with virtual it's it's a lot of expense up front a lot of organization up front to be able to capture vfx in camera and the reason we didn't do it on last verse i mean there's a lot of reasons but uh the last of us you know is a road trip movie in essence they're always on the move so it's not there's not like a returning white house there there's not a returning you know the police station they're, they're moving across america every scene you're pretty much moving to a new set a new set a new set so the amount of work it would have taken the strain on vfx to produce vfx up front just for it to be on screen for two minutes and then we move on again it, it didn't quite make sense um but and it is you know it's such a new technology as well i think like virtual works really really well for certain scenes and is really really difficult for other scenes and you really got to kind of know okay the blocking for this scene the atmosphere of this scene what art department can bring us and what vfx want to do with it 
um, all of those things have to kind of come together and all make sense for virtual, um, in my opinion, where we are right now. It's going to get better, um, of course, but it's a slightly awkward one, I think, still. Yeah, there's a time and a place for everything, really. Almost every creative choice on a film set is um, might apply in some situations, might not apply in others. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, it's like your original point, Evan, about how you describe a modern set. It does just depend on the movie and what the priorities are. And virtual production, one of the reasons that I've been like trying to use it is it, it's coming. You know, people are already using it. I think Greg Frazier uh, on on the Batman did some amazing work with it. He, he kind of uh, pioneered some of the work with it uh, on the Mandalorian. And, you know, he he knows what he's doing with it and. If a film comes along that wants to use virtual, I kind of need to know what I'm talking about. I need to know the, the pros and cons, the pitfalls, so that I can make that work. Um, otherwise, you know, I get left behind. I, I lose jobs. Um, and so, yeah, I, I really, I've made a proactive effort to kind of keep up on virtual production. And um, yeah, there are a ton of problems with it that I don't think are sort of spoken about enough. So I'm also trying to be a little bit outspoken about those problems, just to help hurry them along <laughs> uh so you know the tech can kind of catch up with what we need um but yeah there, there is a kind of a pocket like a sweet spot where it's incredible where it's a real kind of magic trick and you sort of look at the footage and just think wow that's this it's unbelievable and then there's there's quite a few times when you look at it and think <laughs> you know <laughs> it's not quite ready uh but yeah i think like any new tech that's always the way is there um, anything else that you guys would like to add to the cloud in production? Um, I don't know, Evan, how do you use the cloud on set? Yeah, so my, I mean, like, I, I think, you know, dailies and, and viewing rushes and reviewing things, reviewing VFX, reviewing location, scouting photos, all of that stuff. So, like, obviously, so much better in the cloud. Um, yeah. The most important one for me is probably JPEGs, actually. Like, I don't tend to watch dailies um in motion you don't know this term i don't think um i don't but like yeah I, no i'm no, learning well but because i'm there on set and, and i see every take as it happens i've seen it in motion i know what's there in that regard i'm actually much more interested for my department in the critical image the the like highest quality possible what did we actually get i don't really want to see a low quality streamed thing that i've already seen before because it's a worse representation of what we've already done i want to see even better so i'm always looking for keyframes usually the last the last take of every setup for every camera uh, finding a really good frame and then just getting the highest quality possible jpeg that's like this is it this is the image that we shot so i can really kind of assess were we too bright too dark too warm too cold just really kind of nitpick the work that I've done, because um, ultimately that's my job. I think is is to, you know, photograph the, the movie or the TV show the best way possible. And if somebody queries it, okay, is this too dark? Um, I need to sort of have evidence in a way to be able to say definitively this is not too dark. Here is the best version of it, and it's a JPEG, and so the compression is a lot better than than a moving image that's doing twenty four frames a second. So. That's the big one for me, yeah. It's, it's, I usually have a system of sort of folders um, and key takes and key shots, and they're incredibly useful along, along the way, um, even all the way at the very end of the process when it gets to the, the color correction. Um, 
if things have drifted off, if a color has done a pass without me, I'll always refer back to those original JPEGs to, to remind myself, this is what we did on the day. This was the intention. And this is how it's changed. And it's amazing how often looking at that kind of recalibrates and you go, oh yeah, like we wanted it that dark because of la la la. And over time it's, it's got brighter, but actually that's worse. So let's bring it back to where we were. So yeah, that's me. Yeah. Any faster internet to get you, uh, get you better high quality JPEGs. I mean, you 5G <laughs> well, to hurry up and get everywhere. Well, exactly, exactly that. Yeah, like, like you know, usually you get a pixeling, and you're, you know, on on four G, and it's it's three hundred and sixty p, and it's kind of like, what am I even looking at? This no, I'm never going to see it like this again. And or, yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it's it compressed for your phones and iPads, and um, you know, but as as yeah. you said, Evan, for you, you need to look critically at the image. You and your team, your DIT, especially, yeah. I imagine, um, needs to you know, check that that image is good rather than say yeah. a proxy, which the editor might want, who can then edit yeah. it at that, at that on the offlines. So yeah, yeah. it's, um, yeah, there's, there's still a, a good case for onset. Yeah. And, and where the video is really useful is, um, usually, uh, yeah. I mean, directors will quite often say, look at this cut that Tim has just sent and I'll watch a scene. Uh, and watching a scene, watching this, this that, that's when the critical color isn't important. Then I'm looking at something else. I'm looking at the story. I'm looking at how they've used different shots, performance. So that that is something I'll look at. I'll look at assemblies. I'll look at little scenes that are cut together. That's great. And, and I've got quite a few memories of being stood on set, um, about to shoot one scene, but having just watched a scene that Tim had cut a week earlier from something we'd shot a month earlier and just being, you know, I, I, I like Jeremy and I watched um, uh, the the end of it. Uh, God's numbers. Uh, it's um, yeah, uh, end of episode five. Five. Yeah, yeah, we watched that scene on set, and both of us had a little cry um, just from the assembly of the end of five um, when we were about to shoot something else. So that was, you know, that's kind of amazing that you can do that rather than having to go to a, a theater the next morning or something like that. Tim's edits are so good so early in such a remarkable way. Like when I saw the the assembly cut, it was pre-director's cut, I think, of episode three, it was like perfect. I mean, like it's changed so little from that first cut. And the same for these, when I'd watch scenes on set, you know, I'm used to seeing assembly cuts that are flabby and a bit messy and a bit disappointing, actually. They're quite often the worst version of the thing and they're just going to get better and better and better over time but yeah tim's edits are so good so quickly or at least quickly compared to normal i'm sure they're not that quick tim but um it, it was a an amazing thing to be able to watch the last of us in a really high quality way on the set of the last of us it was yeah. surreal and i'll throw it back to to eben and all of the other department heads because again the reason i'm able to do that is because they're communicating with me and we're doing so using all of the different tools that we have been given now, uh, it, whether it's cloud, whether it's, it's, it's collaboration, whether it's email, Dropbox, blah, blah, blah. And it allows us to understand intention. And so I understand the intentions and it allows me to, and I don't, I don't put flabby cuts together. That's for sure. So I, I, I always think that the, the first cut, if they had to put it on, they have, they can do it. It won't sound as good. It won't look as good if it wasn't colored. But if they had to do it, 
you could you could follow a story. Um, but that's one of the reasons I think that we can't. I'm able to do that is because of the collaboration that we all have. Where can you see the technology going um, in terms of what would be useful for you, uh, Tim or Evan uh, or both of you? I've got nothing. I really don't. I mean, at the moment, for at least for what I do, um, it's about uh, responsiveness and quality. Uh, and I have all those things right now because these companies have figured out how to do it, and they're still make they're still improving it. That's the best part is that you know over time it just gets even better. I see an emulation of a monitor. I don't see a monitor itself when I'm working. So maybe that's the thing. That's the next uh, step for me is to be able to actually see the image versus a you know a compressed stream of a monitor's image. So yeah, that would be what I what I'd hope for. My answer is sort of the same, but slightly different in that um, I, uh, it's the same thing, I think, but it's, but HDR is the key thing for me that, that needs to just, everything needs to catch up because every single TV out there now, uh, every iPhone, every MacBook, every iPad is HDR. And when people watch things now, they're watching them in HDR. And there used to be a conversation about whether people liked HDR or not. And I think that's gone now because it just is HDR. Everything's HDR. And you don't really think about it. When you watch something on Netflix, you're not going, ooh, the HDR. You're just watching it. So that, that, that kind of conversation to me is done. Like we are HDR now. Everything's HDR. So let's get rid of SDR. Let's make our dailies HDR. Let's make the edit HDR. Let's make Every, every, you know, that's what it's going to end up on. That's how it's going to get seen. So why are we wasting time with this sort of inferior version that no one's ever going to see? And I think it still goes back to that whole conversation of whether people like it or not. But I just think we've moved on now. Um, it, it won, you know? <laughs> and that's what it is. So, yeah. HDR yeah. everywhere. Well, you're smiling <laughs> like you know something. <laughs> HDR is the way it's going. Like, like you say, it's... It's not really a conversation anymore about HD or not. Everyone's watching on 4K TVs. Yeah, you know, your, yeah. your iPhone is 4K pretty much. But um, the, the main the main issue is it's not fully adopted. It, it is it is massively adopted. My TV's HDR, but I know five friends off the top of my head who don't have an HDR TV. Um, I, I think the question with HDR is also like HDR monitoring on set. Uh, is that necessary? That's a big conversation we hear at the moment. So people are saying, do, do we need to monitor in 4K? Now, with like the Venice, do you need to monitor in 8K? Um, obviously, I, I, I don't think that's the case. But, um, you know, there's a there's a valid argument. Do you monitor in 4K? I know maybe Evans DIT would love to monitor in 4K. We do. We do. And, and I think you do. And, and I just think, why wouldn't you? Like, why, why when you can buy a TV for $500 that's 4K HDR, why, why would you have an inferior image on set? when you are the critical image makers why is a director watching an hd sdr monitor like i just don't get that it, it's a sort of old i think i think you know cost is a factor i think a lot of rental houses have invested so massively in hd sdr and they'll you know it's a way to save some money but it's kind of silly yeah. i mean i i'm prepping an independent movie right now and we're going to be hdr 4k on set um pretty much just because i said can we and they went okay and that was it <laughs> so it's it's definitely possible um i think it's just a little bit of catch-up has to happen and a bit more normalization that it should be 4k hdr um unless budgets are crazy crazy tight so on the rings of power they had like a last minute on amazon's rings of power like like a phone call from the dit's there saying like last minute without monitoring in hdr what have you got so 
we got one of our big HDR monitors down to them. But um, yeah, that was like a sudden last minute call and the budget was there. And, you know, they're realizing more and more big shows, they want to monitor in HDR. Yeah. The DOP wants to know exactly what they're getting. And um, before you know it, even the script supervisors want to monitor in HDR. Well, I think that's a good place to end it. So thank you all for your time, Evan, Tim, Will. It's been amazing. Um, yeah. Thank you.